It is Atlanta's Evening News, and I'm your host, Eric Erickson. Welcome. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. We need to delve into local news this hour because there is a lot of news. You have spent a lot of time today, I'm sure, hearing about the Green New Deal. Uh, You've probably heard about the Matt Whitaker hearings already. We will get into those later, as well as the Jeff Bezos situation uh, with the National Enquirer, a very interesting story, uh, but you're not going to hear anywhere else a breakdown of what's happening in the state legislature. So I want to spend time because uh, there actually is a lot of big news coming out of the legislature today into next week. Now, one of the reasons we're seeing a big wave of news coming out of the state legislature is because uh, they went very slow and avoided as much controversial as possible, um, it, it, con- as many controversial things as possible while the Super Bowl was in play. Uh, they, they didn't want to, in the run-up to it, call stories uh, by left-wing activists and whatnot in the media saying, oh, is is Georgia going to do a uh, pro-life legislation or an abortion law, they would call it, or, or what have you? Uh, or what about religious liberty? So all of that stuff is now beginning to come out, and one of the biggest things to come out is health care reform in the state legislature. I've talked to some folks close to the governor's office as to what they're thinking and also looked at the legislation in the state legislature. One of the biggest issues to come about is State Senator Matt Brass's legislation. Really positive legislation. I hope the legislature will support it. I have polled a number of different members in the House of the Senate. There is some equivalent uh, legislation in the House of Representatives as well. But Matt Brass from Noonan is really taking the lead on this legislation. It's about certificates of need, and this is somewhat wonky. I apologize. But you do need to. I do need to explain to you what a certificate of need is. It essentially is a way for local hospitals to shut out competition nearby. And there is a theory here, so you need to understand it. Um, hospitals build services out uh, that subsidize the cost of emergency rooms. So, for example, a hospital builds a fancy high-tech cardiac unit or a cancer center. They use the money they make off of the cancer center and the cardiac unit to then subsidize the cost of the emergency room because emergency rooms typically don't make money. And the reason emergency rooms typically don't make money is because a lot of of Medicaid people and uninsured people go to the emergency room because they don't have regular doctor care. So they wait until something festers and gets really bad, and then they're rushed to the emergency room. And there are bills to pay and no one to pay them, and the government doesn't reimburse at a very high rate. So a hospital will build a cardiac unit, a huge maternity ward, uh, you name it, all these outpatient facilities, and the money, the profit from those subsidize is the money losers like the emergency room. So hospitals decided they needed what was called a certificate of need. Um, and the legislature gave it to them years ago. It's been decades now that certificates of need have been in effect. And essentially what a certificate of need does is it allows a local hospital to block a new medical facility from growing on the grounds that that new medical facility might cut in to the existing hospital's profit centers, which would thereby harm the emergency facilities. So you would need to show that there was a need. You, there was a need for an expansion. For example, when I was on city council down in Macon, the uh, Coliseum Healthcare Center wanted to expand its cardiac unit. 
the Medical Center of Central Georgia, which is a nonprofit healthcare facility, Trauma One Medical Center, opposed the expansion of the Coliseum. I think it was cardiac. It might have been maternity, but I think it was cardiac. It exposed the it opposed the expansion of the other hospital. Lobbyists got involved. It became a very expensive legal fight for the for-profit hospital to be able to expand. And one of the arguments that was used by the nonprofit hospital is that it would cut into their business that was a directly subsidized the cost of trauma care. Uh, they wound up losing that fight ultimately. Nonetheless, it was a difficult, prolonged, expensive fight. What the legislation from Matt Brass would do is would cut down the radius uh, by which a rural area hospital could object to a certificate of need. Right now, I believe it's, it's uh, I want to say within the 20 to 40 mile radius of new facility coming about, you can object. Uh, it would be the radius would be objected, would be lowered to 10 miles. So if new medical facility is coming in that would compete with existing businesses uh, within 10 miles, you would be able to object. Now, one of the reasons this is important is because in rural parts of the state, there are fewer and fewer hospitals and medical facilities. In some cases, down in South Georgia, you can be an hour or more from the nearest hospital. That's a real problem because in addition to ambulance services then being very expensive because of transport, you also have a greater reliance on helicopters to transport people to hospitals. And that as well becomes very, very expensive. So this would reduce the, the distance from an existing location that could be objected to to 10 miles, which the state hopes would give some incentive to new medical facilities cropping up in South Georgia, helping to cover some of the and alleviate some of the lack of medical care in South Georgia. So the in addition to restricting hospitals from within a 10 mile radius that would be the only area that an existing medical facility could object in the metro atlanta area they would get rid of certificates of need altogether that means if uh northside hospital if piedmont um you name it if they wanted to build a new medical facility they would be able to within the metro area one of the benefits of this is, listen, everyone acknowledges that when there is greater competition, prices tend to go down. The certificates of need provide an artificial cap uh, or an artificial floor on the, the cost of health care. So at, at some point with a certificate of need, a hospital has a monopoly in an area and it can charge whatever it wants. And insurance is going to pay a portion of that. And the government's going to pay a portion of that. And it's going to be very expensive for people in rural areas, even in urban areas. It's going to be very expensive because of the, the, the lack of competition. When you add new medical facilities in areas, it lowers prices, just like every other free market outlet. You put two hospitals in an area, they have the same setup. They tend to compete in lower prices overall. That's why hospitals don't like to have competing hospitals nearby, particularly in rural and suburban areas, because, again, their profit centers, their plastic surgery wing, their maternity wing, their cardiac center, their you name it, those all go to subsidize their emergency rooms that don't make money. Well, the thinking in the legislature with Senator Matt Brass's legislation is that we already have such huge medical facilities inside the urban areas in Georgia, particularly the Atlanta area. 
and they're already so aggressively competing with each other, there really is no need now to keep uh, the certificates of need. Because what is happening in the metro area with certificates of need is that the existing hospitals are largely working to shut out newcomers. So, for example, Matt Brass uh, represents the Noonan area. If you drive through Noonan, there's a Cancer Center for America uh, location there. The Atlanta hospitals were working very hard to shut out the Cancer uh, Treatment Centers of America facility in Noonan. And their argument was that they pour a lot of resources into their cancer facilities, and this would hurt them financially. But not just that, they also made a, a care argument that cancer, center, cancer Treatment Centers of America would not be able to give as good a care, as quality a care, as what they could give in the metro area. The only way that Cancer Treatment Centers of America was able to overcome this was to artificially cap the number of patients that they were willing to see. So they built this beautiful, beautiful facility, and they can't fill it with the number of, of patients that they were expecting because of the certificates of need. So this would allow them finally to uh, do this. Uh, it would allow them finally to be able to accept more patients and thereby lower their costs. Because if they can only accept a small number of patients, uh, then the cost per patient is much higher. So you add more beds to the treatment facility, you're able to lower the overall per bed cost. It makes a lot of sense as a way to, to lower costs. But there's another aspect to the Certificates of Need program, and this is where I, need, I needed to explain it to you to understand what it does, why it, why it is, and what they're changing to be able to explain why they want to do this. In addition to it's a Republican belief that the free market will actually help lower health care costs, the governor intends to apply for a waiver from Obamacare. The governor wants to expand the number of people covered under Medicaid without actually embracing Obamacare. It is indisputable that there are people who are fall outside the gap in Medicaid who still can't afford health care, and the state's having to subsidize them, and so the state wants a waiver. They want to come up with a new plan. They've hired a consultant to develop a plan. They're not modeling it after other states. They're looking at Georgia's population and Georgia's actual needs instead of just hitting Control-C, saying we're going to copy Wisconsin or we're going to copy Maine or we're going to copy Indiana. They're looking, here's what Georgia's needs are. Here's Georgia's population. Here are the long-term projections of how Georgia's population is going to go. Let's build a Medicare waiver around those projections instead of looking at other states. Well, one of the things that you have to do in states to get a waiver under Obamacare is you can't have certificates of need. So if they want the waiver, they've got to get rid of the certificates of need because it's a widespread agreement nationwide that certificates of need keep prices higher than they should be in terms of medical care. So that's where we're headed with the legislature. There's other news of the legislature. If you got student loans, stick around. But before I can even get to commercial, there's actually very huge breaking news that's hitting right now. Uh, another woman is coming forward against the Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax. Uh, they've just released a statement. Her name is Meredith Watson. Um, they write, we serve as counsel for Meredith Watson, who was raped by Justin Fairfax in 2000 while they were both students at Duke University. Mr. Fairfax's attack was premeditated and aggressive. The two were friends but never dated or had 
had any romantic relationship. Ms. Watson shared her account of the rape with friends in a series of emails and Facebook messages that are now in our possession. Additionally, we have statements from former classmates corroborating that Ms. Watson immediately told friends that Mr. Fairfax had raped her. Ms. Watson was upset to learn that Mr. Fairfax raped at least one other woman after he attacked her. The details of Ms. Watson's attack are similar to those described by Dr. Vanessa Tyson. Uh, this is just in happening right now. Uh, the law firm Evergreen Partners, they claim to represent Meredith Watson, a woman they say was raped uh, by the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. Nancy Erica Smith is the attorney for the woman. It literally just hit the wires as I was talking. Huge news development this evening in Virginia still with the... Um, with the lieutenant governor there under attack and being lots of calls for him already to resign. Okay, I want to tell you guys about Calm, uh, which has become the most used app in my household. Uh, we've been using it because my buddy Jonathan last recommended it to me. Even before they came along asking if I'd do an endorsement, I was like, uh, yes, I'll endorse you uh, because we use you. It's the number one app to help you sleep, meditate, and relax. If you head to calm.com slash Eric, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. It includes hundreds of hours of programs. It includes guided meditations for anxiety, stress, focus, including brand new meditation called The Daily Calm. There are sleep stories with some of the very famous actors reading. You get Stephen Fry or uh, with France and the Lavender Fields or Explore New Zealand with Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. Bob Ross is there as well. For a limited time, my listeners are going to get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Eric. You get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric. Give yourself the gift of calm. It, have a happy and healthy 2019. Now, let's see. Do I have time here? Real quickly, for a phone call, Peter from Peachtree Corners, I'm going to go to you first. Welcome. Hey, Eric. How's it going? Great. Good. I just wanted to know, obviously, the news coming out of Virginia is very sad for you know, if these allegations prove to be true for the for the women involved. But do you think there would be any knock-on effect in the 2020 election, the presidential election? Does Virginia come in play at all? You know, I don't know that Virginia will come in play largely because Northern Virginia, but in Virginia, I think it helps the Republicans because here here's a, a situation that has to be dealt with, and that is that if Justin Fairfax is forced to resign, there are now two women who have come forward claiming that he raped them. You will be forcing out the African-American lieutenant governor while the white governor and attorney general who appeared in blackface will remain. Uh, so you may actually have a situation where African-American voters sit on their hands and don't go vote as a form of protest. And, well, that may put Virginia in play for the president. Definitely for Virginia Republicans, it should help. gotta I, I gotta pivot here for just a second if you if you got a student loan just bear with me I'll get to it here in a minute it, it is Eric Erickson here at Atlanta's evening news and the phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 WSB talk um, this Virginia situation if you're just tuning in uh, the lieutenant governor of Virginia was accused of uh, forcing a woman to do things uh, inappropriately back in 2004 at the Democratic National Convention. Uh, now a, another woman has come forward and said at Duke University in the year 2000, he raped her. 
she has a lawyer. They have released a statement. He says this is not true. He's denied the other claim as well. Uh, more and more uh, people coming forward calling on him to resign. Uh, the governor is saying that he is not going to resign now. Uh, so this puts Virginia Democrats in a very awkward, interesting situation in that you have a governor and a lieutenant governor who were both found to have been in blackface in the 1980s, both having admitted it. You now have the lieutenant governor who denies raping two women uh, with people calling for him to resign. If he is pressured out, well, then it leaves the Democrats in a very bad position with black voters and that the, the attorney general and the Governor or white, the lieutenant governor's black. Um, if he is not forced out, well, then you have Democrats in an awkward position nationwide uh, because of that situation. And in fact, we've already got a situation with Democrats around the country, uh, elected Democrats who are refusing to ask, answer any questions about it. The Washington Free Beacon put together this montage of they went to Capitol Hill with reporters ambushing Democrats on their thoughts about the Virginia situation. Excuse me, Congresswoman, do you believe the accuser of Lieutenant Governor uh, Justin Fairfax? I haven't looked into that yet. We're on our way to the floor for votes. It won't take too long. I just wanted to ask you, uh, Congresswoman. Do you believe the accuser of Lieutenant Governor Fairfax? But yeah, so do you believe the accuser of Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax? Excuse me, Congressman. Do you believe the uh, uh, accuser of Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax? I don't know enough about it. Excuse me, Congresswoman. Do you believe uh, the accuser of Justin Fairfax? I didn't quite catch the end. I'm sorry about that, Congresswoman. I said I'm looking forward to looking into the scenario, but I haven't heard anything about this quite yet. <laughs> Basically, all the, they're all grabbing their cell phones like, oh, I'm on the phone. Sorry, I can't talk to you right now. Um, wow. So this will continue to play out. We're, we're going to let this marinate over the next hour and see what happens. This story's just breaking on a Friday afternoon, uh, here, uh, it's about 40 after four o'clock and the story is breaking that Justin Fairfax, the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia accused by a second woman of raping her, uh, this time at Duke university. Uh, we will get back to that, but uh, I do want to spend time, while the story plays out over the next hour in the media, I need to let you know about another piece of legislation here in Georgia that's relevant to many of us. Um, so I have a lot of student loans. My undergraduate career was mostly funded by scholarship and my law school career mostly funded by loan. And I have I, on one student loan I haven't practiced law since the year 2005. I got out of law school in 2000, and with one of my student loans, I got about $9,000 left on it, and it's a payment of about $320 a month or so. And the other one, uh, I think I've got another 15 to 20 years of a $475 a month payment on it. Uh, in fact, when I first got out of law school, I was making so little as a lawyer that I had to defer my loans for a time later, go into forbearance with one of them for a while and let interest compound because I, I literally could not afford to pay my student loans at the time. They were much higher. The one was always fixed at 475. The other one fluctuated. And when Christy and I first got married, we had her student loans as well. And I was making, I think right out of law school, I made $42,000 a year as a lawyer. Um, 
I practiced for five years and never broke fifty thousand uh, dollars practicing law. And we were struggling when we first got married. We both worked to make ends meet, and uh, the law school loans were larger than our mortgage. In fact, we almost wound up not buying a house because our law school loans were more than our mortgage. But we actually had a friend of ours who was just a, a genius and essentially convinced us with the mortgage interest deduction and, and the law school student loan deductions and whatnot at the time that we would be better off going on and buying a house at the time. And economics have changed so much then. There are a lot of people who can't afford to buy houses now because of student loans. But one of the other problems we have is in the state of Georgia, there's a law that if you fall behind on your student loans, your professional licenses get suspended. If you have a professional license in Georgia, for example, if you're a school teacher in Georgia, you have a professional teacher's license. And under Georgia law, you have your professional license. It's how you earn your income. And if you fall behind on your student loans, your professional license goes away. Therefore, your means with which to earn an income, with which to pay back your student loans goes away. It's a ridiculous law. And thankfully, Scott Turner in the state house has introduced House Bill 42. That bill would prohibit the state of Georgia from suspending or revoking your professional licenses if you fall behind on student debt. Georgia, by the way, you should know, is one of the few states left in the nation that still does this. Most states got rid of their laws uh, revoking professional licenses, and in fact, the federal government has encouraged states to get rid of these laws. Georgia still has the law. House Bill 42 by Scott Turner would get rid of the would get rid of the requirement to revoke a professional license for failure to pay a student loan. I think it is needed legislation and good for him for pursuing it. Uh, Scott Turner, Republican, not a Democrat, a uh, very libertarian Republican pushing this law and good for him for doing so. The Republicans should run with this very quickly. Uh, optics in the suburbs, it's what they say they're worried about. This is a great one for all those suburban parents who see their kids with mounting student loan debt. Now, let's go back to the phone on the health care issue. Jeff from Atlanta, been waiting patiently. Welcome, Jeff. Hey. Hi there. Um. Just a, it's a complicated uh, situation in terms of what's being dealt with, but just FYI, I've worked in uh, multiple different states on both the insurance side and on the provider side that have both CON laws and ones that, you know, did not have CON laws. And, and just for those listing CON certificate of need. Correct. And what you'll find if you dig into it is that healthcare costs in states that do not have certificate of need are not lower relative to states that do. And part of the reason for that is, as you, healthcare does not formal, for, follow normal economic conditions. And what tends to happen is the for-profit um, players will only provide services that are highly profitable. And what tends to happen is utilization goes up. Unit, unit pricing may come down, but utilization actually goes up. And as a result, premiums are not lower. Right. You're right on the premium issue. The, the problem, though, and, and the, the research, for example, that the state legislature has been circulating and even the federal government is now pushing out uh, from the Obama administration and now continued from the Trump administration, is that there's been a lot of research that shows overall health care costs do go down. However, uh, to your point, there is a study that has come out uh, from the... Oh, where is it? I actually had it pulled up. Um, yeah, the Health Finance Journal... Uh, there was a study conducted by Georgetown University. Uh, Daniel McCory is the doctor who participated, along with Providence College Department of Economics and the Ripon College Department of Business Management. 
And I'll just read you the abstract. Uh, basically, 35 states have certificates of need. That number's going down. Uh, but we find that states with certificates of need law have higher prices than states without them. But the difference is no longer statistically significant. New data on U.S. healthcare prices will increasingly allow researchers to evaluate how policy affects these states. Uh, though we cannot yet precisely estimate the effect of certificates of need laws on prices under the new healthcare laws. Now, uh, that study was conducted in 2017, and now the National Conference of State Legislatures has issued guidance uh, as of August 17th of 2018, uh, saying that the federal government wants them repealed, and in fact, more and more data is suggesting that certificates of need do artificially increase overall healthcare costs. Uh, and yes, uh, to Jeff's point, you your premium, your insurance premium is probably not going to be impacted whether or not there's a certificate of need or not. But the overall uh, payments to hospitals actually tends to go down, lowering overall health care costs, which is why the Federal Trade Commission and uh, the um, HHS Department of Health and Human Services is encouraging states to get rid of uh, certificates of need. So that's where the government's going. But the larger issue here is that the Trump administration will not actually even consider a Medicaid waiver or an Obamacare waiver if a state has a certificate of need. So the reason the number has fallen so dramatically in the number of states that have certificates of need, in 2017 it was 35, and now it's only half the states, 25 of the states, is because if you want a waiver to experiment under Obamacare without embracing full Obamacare, you have to get rid of your certificates of need. So we can expect the legislature is going to do that here in Georgia. It is 56 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I got to play for you this audio from Senator Mike Lee. They had a rather contentious hearing on Capitol Hill for some judges, and uh, Mike Lee has really had enough of the Democrats calling into question the religious faith of those uh, nominees for the, the judiciary. Listen to this from Mike Lee. The problem with asking a nominee about the particulars of his or her religious beliefs is that those questions inevitably expose those beliefs as somehow a qualifier or a disqualifier for public office. That is flatly inconsistent with at least the letter, at least the spirit, if not also the letter, of at least two provisions of the Constitution. I cannot fathom why this would ever make sense to do. There was a time in this country when people might have been asked in a job interview context or in the context of a hearing like those we hold here, whether someone believed in God, whether they were Christian, when they might have been asked those, it was not for a, a good reason, because there is never a good reason in a public setting to ask that question, save perhaps if you just want to make sure that that person's religious beliefs do not require that person to betray the judicial oath. Beyond that, I can't fathom a circumstance in which that would be appropriate. So I would ask Senator Hirono, in what circumstance, in what way, shape, or form is asking Naomi Rao whether she believes particular conduct to be sinful an appropriate question to be asked in this committee, ever? May I respond? Uh, yes, please. You know, uh, these, these probing questions, uh, I, I, if you were to list all of the questions that we ask, they have to do with whether or not these nominees very strongly held 
religious views, as well as any other views that may not enable them to be objective as judges in lifetime positions, I think that's a legitimate area of inquiry. And it is not that we all ask, uh, do you think such and such is a sin, et cetera, et cetera. Although, well, that was asked me. that this week. This yeah, well, week it was asked. I, I'm not making this up. Well, I, <laughs> she did ask it. Crazy, crazy inoffensive. When we come back, what actually is going on with Jeff Bezos and the National Enquirer? I'll break it down for you. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, the second hour of Atlanta's Evening News, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I hope you guys enjoyed that one day of summer. <laughs> Cold coming back. So I'm, I'm looking at the Washington Post and, and fourth story down I see is um, a fourth story, mo, fourth, fourth most read story is a messy wintry mix is likely early next week, but snow potential is limited. And the fifth most read story is forecasters warn a very bad afternoon commute in Seattle on Friday as major snowstorm arrives. Everyone kind of had a reprieve yesterday and then Mother Nature realized, oh, wait, um, it's still February. The third most read story of the Washington Post is for Vanessa Tyson speaking out on sexual assault began long before she accused Fairfax. That would be Justin Fairfax, the lieutenant governor of Virginia. And now the most read story of the Washington Post as of this moment is a second woman accuses Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax of sexual assault. Uh, she claims this happened at Duke in the year 2000. Vanessa Tyson claims it happened in 2004. Justin Fairfax is denying both of them. In fact, he called Vanessa Tyson two words I'm not allowed to say on the radio. Uh, the other woman, we don't know what he said about her. Uh, this story is going to play out. The other story that is getting a lot of news today is the Jeff Bezos story. Jeff Bezos and the National Enquirer. Jeff Bezos has released the um, email exchange with the National Enquirer that basically they told him they had obtained nude pictures of Jeff Bezos. And they were going to make those pictures public if he didn't stop reporting on the National Enquirer. One of the issues is the Washington Post has uh, just continued to report on the National Enquirer and its relationship to Donald Trump and how they might have coordinated in 2016 and whatnot. Well, they were having none of it. They told Jeff Bezos if he didn't stop, they were going to do this, and that's not legal. It's not legal. It's called blackmail. Some call it would call it extortion. Uh, they it, They're not supposed to do stuff like this. Bezos was having none of it. He's got no shame at this point. Jeff Bezos was a happily married man, the richest person on the planet, and he had an affair with a friend's wife. He and his wife are getting a divorce now. The friend and his wife are getting a divorce. There's no word on whether Bezos and this woman will actually get married, uh, but one of the things he did is he sent her explicit pictures. It turns out that this woman's brother is friends with Roger Stone. 
You cannot make this up. And somehow or another, the pictures got to the National Enquirer, and there are some who suggest that their text messages were intercepted. So one of the big questions that I actually think needs to be discovered here is, did Jeff Bezos and his girlfriend use Apple iPhones? Now, this is, has nothing to do with my, my fixation with Apple and being part of the Apple cult. Uh, one of the issues is there is an allegation that a foreign government may have intercepted the text messages. Now, part of this you need to understand is the, the, the girlfriend's brother uh, raised that issue. Uh, Gavin DeBecker is a security guru hired by Jeff Bezos. He is looking into whether or not a foreign government may have obtained these phones or hacked the cell phone. Saudi Arabia, of course, is implicated by some because the Washington Post has been pounding the drum on the Jamal Khashoggi killing in Istanbul and wants action against Saudi Arabia. Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. But it is also apparently the 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 brother of the girlfriend raised the issue about maybe a foreign government did this. Uh, this is the brother who is tied to Roger Stone. Now, the reason I say is, is it's relevant whether or not he has an iPhone is because if they both have iPhones, uh, their text message bubbles would be blue. And that signals that you're using Apple's proprietary iMessages platform, which is secured between iPhones. So you can't intercept iPhone messages and decode them iPhone to iPhone. If the bubble is green, it means you're using the standard SMS text messaging service that all cell phones have always used. And it is not secure. It is easily intercepted and easily decoded as to what the text message is. So if the, if he and his girlfriend were both using iPhones, it means someone actually had physical access to one of their phones to get these text messages and pictures. If it if they don't have both have iPhones, then it would be very easy to do. That's why governments hate iPhones because uh, of that that security between phones when you're messaging. In any event, uh, this story is blowing up. By the way, former Governor Terry McAuliffe of Virginia is out now tweeting that uh, Justin Fairfax needs to resign as lieutenant governor in Virginia, calling for his immediate resignation. Uh, also, a buddy of mine did point out this Jeff Bezos story we're talking about. It isn't in the most read stories of the Washington Post today. They're not covering their boss and employer. But nonetheless, um, the Bezos story is interesting in that there's a twist this afternoon. Amazon.com and its web services, Amazon Web Services, in their terms of service, say that you cannot host a website on Amazon uh, and use that website or any portion thereof for blackmail, extortion, or any other crime. Guess where the National Enquirer is hosted? <laughs> Yes, that's right. The National Enquirer hosts its entire web platform on the on Amazon Web Services. And according to Amazon Web Services, <laughs> they're in violation of their terms for what they've done to Jeff Bezos. Will Amazon actually shut down the National They could they could absolutely shut down uh the entire National Enquirer platform and, and related properties all on Amazon Web Services. They, they totally could do that. I wonder if Jeff, I, I actually don't think that will happen. And, and I've seen a number of people say, oh, we should not encourage this. Um, but it's interesting to speculate. Amazon could, according to the terms of service, they could shut down the National Enquirer for having done this. 
Um, and I'm wondering if because Jeff Bezos is the CEO, if they'll decline to shut him down. I, I suspect this is a non, non-issue non here. They're not actually going to shut them down. Because Bezos is involved, they would claim conflict of interest. It would get messy. But my goodness gracious, um, <laughs> this story is going to continue to spiral out of control. I can tell you that. Now, we do need to move on. Uh, Matthew Whitaker, the acting attorney general, also not ready for prime time. He appeared before the Senate Judiciary Committee today. Uh, Doug Collins was actually involved. Doug Collins, congressman from Georgia. Uh, Jerry Nadler, who's now the chairman of the committee, told Collins he could step down and go sit over by Whitaker if he wanted to serve as his counsel. It was an interesting moment, a very interesting moment. So Whitaker handled himself not quite ready for prime time. Someone clearly should have coached him and they didn't. Uh, We got the audio of this when we come back. There are a ton of stories out there about online security breaches, and you got to start worrying about how your data is used and where it goes, who's looking at it, making an online purchase, or accessing your email could put your private information at risk. And you know you're being tracked online by social media companies, marketing companies, your mobile or internet provider can track you. There's one way to make sure your privacy is secure, and that's with ExpressVPN. It's got easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background on your computer, on your phone, on your tablet. All you do to turn it on is one click. It secures and makes anonymous your internet browsing by encrypting your data, hiding your public IP address, and you can use ExpressVPN for less than $7 a month. It's the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so protect your online privacy today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash E-R-I-C-K. For three months free with a one-year package, visit expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. Well, you know what happened during our commercial break? Uh, Ben Tribbett, who is uh, the political uh, Twitter guy in Virginia, he follows these things closely on the Democratic side, is reporting on Twitter that reporters are now saying that they've heard about victims three, four, and five uh, regarding Justin Fairfax, the lieutenant governor in Virginia. My goodness, uh, story still developing. I told you, give it an hour to marinate and see what happens. Here we are. Now, we got to get, though, to Matt Whitaker having these exchanges. I want to play the Doug Collins exchange. Doug Collins, Georgia congressman, with Matt Whitaker uh, before the U.S. House today. I'll start off with this way, and I just want to thank the chairman for a show of honesty. We now have the reason for this hearing. It has nothing to do with the oversight of DOJ. It has everything to do, as we found out this morning, in a document dump from the Democratic side of this committee and also another committee, that this is nothing more than a character assassination. And we're going to also decide to see if we can just do something and get at the president while we had the chance. And, well, Whitaker, he helped the Democrats had this exchange with Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the committee. In your capacity as acting attorney general, Have you ever been asked to approve any request or action to be taken by the special counsel? Mr. Chairman, uh, I see that your five minutes is up, and so uh, I'm I'm here voluntarily. We have agreed to five-minute rounds. The committee... I think that's a fine place to end the five-minute rule. The committee 
we'll end. We'll, 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 we'll come to order. I will point out that we didn't enforce the five-minute rule on, 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 on attorney, uh, acting Attorney General Whitaker. We will. I understand, Mr. Chairman. I was just saying that might be a good breaking point at that well, point for you. No, the, the Attorney General was in the middle of saying something. Answer the question, please. <laughs> Matt Whitaker, the Attorney General of the United States of America, apparently did not realize that the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee was in charge of the clock and could take as much time as he wanted. Now, Whitaker said they agreed on five-minute rounds. Yes, they agreed on five-minute rounds, but there's always discretion by the committee chairman as to whether or not he wants to allow people to continue to finish making their point or to allow uh, Matt Whitaker to fully answer the question. And he wanted Whitaker to fully answer the question, and Whitaker's position was, your five minutes are up now. Sorry, I don't have to finish answering your question. It didn't go over so well in the committee. And he had multiple moments like this. Uh, even sympathetic uh, Republicans who were watching this from the outside were rolling their eyes at Whitaker's performance, saying someone did not brief him very well on the situation, and I think they're right. Now, when we come back, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, Green New Deal continues to be picked apart. There was an amazing flip-flop today, well, yesterday actually, by uh, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez. Within 12 hours, she was changing her story on the Green New Deal, and Cory Booker has come out. Now, of course, all the Democrats pledging loyalty to this plan, none of them actually mean it. You know none of them actually mean it. When Nancy Pelosi herself was coming out laughing about what she's calling the green dream, uh, not taking it very seriously, I want to break down some more of what's come out in the last 24 hours, including more details on cost about the uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez New Green Deal. Short answer here, it would cost more than the American GDP total. Y'all, I'm just, man, in, in addition to the Justin Fairfax story coming out now, Amy Klobuchar is a senator from Minnesota, and she is considered the nice senator. Uh, Amy Klobuchar is considered always respectful, always kind, Minnesota nice. And, and in fact, she's going to launch her presidential campaign this weekend, and lots of critics from staffers are coming out saying she's actually a terrible person to work for. BuzzFeed News has the story. Behind the doors of her Washington, D.C. office, the Minnesota Democrat ran a workplace controlled by fear, anger, and shame, according to interviews with eight former staffers, one that many employees found intolerably cruel. She demeaned and berated her staff almost daily, subjecting them to bouts of explosive rage and regular humiliation within the office. That anger regularly left employees in tears, four former staffers said. She yelled through papers and sometimes even hurled objects one aide was accidentally hit with a flying binder. I wonder if it was full of women, according to someone who saw it happen, though the staffer said the senator did not intend to hit anyone with the binder when she threw it. I cried. I cried like all the time, said one former staffer. In the email seen by BuzzFeed, others said between 1 and 4 in the morning, Klobuchar regularly berated employees, often in all capital letters, over minor mistakes, misunderstandings, and misplaced commas. 
Klobuchar in the emails, which were mostly sent over the past few years, referred to her staff's work as the worst in years, the worst in my life. (laughs) Wow. And she's so nice on TV. She was even nice to Brett Kavanaugh. Behind the scenes, a monster. Sounds bipolar. Good grief. In any event, uh, she's going to make her announcement this weekend. Comes on the heels of Cory Booker making his announcement. And Cory Booker, well, he just loves the Green New Deal. Our planet is in peril, and we need to be bold. And so we have to deal with this. There is a Our planet is in peril, and we need to be bold. It's one of the reasons why I signed on to the resolution, a co-sponsor of the resolution for the Green New Deal. And there's a lot of people now that are blowing back on the Green New Deal. They're like, oh, it's impractical. Oh, it's too expensive. Oh, it's all of this. If we used to govern our dreams that way, we would have never gone to the moon. God, that's impractical. You see that ball in the sky? We, we, we are a nation that has done impossible things before. And my parents taught me reach for the, reach for the moon, reach for the stars. And even if you come up short, at least you're going to be hovering above the ground. You'll be soaring, young man. And so we need to be bold again in America. We need to have dreams that other people say are impossible. We need to push the bounds of human potential because that is our history. And when the planet has been in peril in the past, who came forward to save Earth from the scourge of of Nazi and totalitarian regimes? We came forward. Who came forward to save the planet from, or, or, or continents From financial ruin, we came forward with the Marshall Plan. Our history is standing up and saying, look, humanity is in crisis. America is going to be light and the hope. (laughs) Brave rhetoric, but there's a catch. And we know that catch this afternoon, thanks to the Manhattan Institute. So the Manhattan Institute has run the numbers. And what's so interesting here is that over the next 10 years, we are expected to have a gross domestic product of $200 trillion. Of that $200 trillion, $86 trillion will be consumed by government and government activities. That is, state, local, and federal government will consume $86 trillion of the $200 trillion produced by our economy over the next 10 years. How much will Alexandria Cortez's proposals cost? Well, just based on the numbers alone, we would be approaching $100 trillion for all of the stuff that comes before the actual green stuff in her proposal. Um, before getting into the green policies, this is Brian Riedel from the Manhattan Institute. Single payer, which she calls for, would be $32 trillion. Jobs guarantees would be $7 trillion. Um, you would have a program for the poor that would cost $5 trillion. Education, family leave, job training, retirement security would be $2 trillion. So that's $46 trillion before going green. And then you add the extra green plans over the next 10 years. Replacing 250 million gas vehicles would probably be a minimum of $7 trillion. Killing most of the 200,000 aircraft in this country, what would that cost? Replacing all military jets, high-speed rail across the country, upgrading, replacing 120 million buildings, all the R&D research, installing renewables everywhere. You're over $100 billion for her plan. So you've got $200 trillion 
coming in over the next 10 years in gross domestic product. The federal government, the state government, the county government, the local government will consume $86 trillion of that 200 Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would consume an additional $100 trillion of that 200 So you would have left, you would have slightly more, you would have, what, $14 trillion left. That's crazy. Right now, after all government has taken over, there is uh, over $100 trillion in the economy. She would take all but $14 trillion, none of the economy. It would be economically devastating to do what she wants. And by the way, she's flip-flopping. Uh, this happened yesterday, NPR in the morning, and Chuck Todd will meet the press daily show in the afternoon. Listen to this. Are you prepared to put on the table that, yes, actually, they're right. What this requires is massive government intervention. It does. It does. Yeah, I have no problem saying that. Uh, I think one, one way that the right does try to mischaracterize uh, what we're doing as though it's like some kind of massive government takeover. Mm-hmm. So she was okay with a massive government takeover in the morning. By the afternoon, she's like, nah, it's not going to be. You know, it, the left ridiculed Selena Zito for years, uh, over the last two years, for saying to understand Donald Trump's support, you have to understand that they take him seriously, but they don't take him literally. And other reporters ridiculed her for saying that, that, that his supporters understand when he says Mexico's going to pay for a wall, they understand that we're going to get a wall, but we're not going to take him literally that Mexico's going to pay for it. And now suddenly you have reporters out there who are treating Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as if you got to take her seriously, not literally. If you take her literally, she's going to bankrupt the American economy over the next decade to get something that, by the way, solving World War II cost $100 billion. She wants something that's going to cost $100 trillion. That's madness. I don't know if you guys saw, but John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, sided with the liberals on the court today to uh, hold a Louisiana abortion law. Now, the court could decide later whether or not to extend it but conservatives really upset with roberts today Uh, he actually altered his position from two years ago on a separate legal matter uh, that was a very very similar case and he chose to go the opposite way today i think he's trying to play anthony kennedy now that kennedy's not there and that's unfortunate but really not that surprising (laughs) 